Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. I'm Anthony Kent. And I'm Derek Morris, and we're glad you joined us today as we talk to a powerful preacher of the Word of God and someone who has helped train people to stay active in their following Jesus. Uh, let's talk about that, Anthony. Exactly. Pastor Mark Finley needs little or no introduction, a man of vast experience and incredible ability. Not only has he been an evangelist, but he's also been a wonderful discipler and disciple maker. And the topic that we're going to be looking at is nurturing people, follow up and preventing apostasy, which can be summarized as discipleship. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Derek. And we're delighted that you've joined us. We'll be right back with Pastor Mark Finley straight after this break. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion, where we have a very special guest, Pastor Mark Finley, and we're exploring discipleship. Welcome, Mark. Delighted to be with you again. Thanks so much. Mark, discipleship. Is, is this a biblical term? Where does, where does it come from? You know, it really is based in Matthew, the 28th chapter. And yes, it certainly, Anthony, is a biblical term. Most people think in Matthew chapter 28 that Jesus said, go baptize all nations. And they think the Great Commission is to go baptize. Actually, that's not the case. If you look at Jesus' words carefully, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, that's incredibly encouraging, all authority. So when we go out and witness for Jesus, we go in his authority. That's extraordinary. By his power, not our own. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I'm with you even to the end of the earth. So Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. So discipleship is biblical. Mm. When people become disciples of Christ, they are baptized as an acknowledgement of their discipleship. So the Great Commission is not go baptize, it's go make disciples. Exactly. So baptism just seems to be the entry or the start. And then what Jesus seems to be describing there is the process of discipleship. Sure. Yeah. Sure. They are discipled before they're baptized, but they're discipled after they're baptized as they continue to grow. Exactly. Yeah. Mark, do you have some examples for us where you've seen discipleship used and, and occur in an inspiring way? I really ha do. You know, uh, first let's define discipleship. When we use the term, what are we, what are we really saying? Discipleship is the development of faith-filled Christians who are praying and have a meaningful prayer life, studying God's Word and witnessing to the glory of His name. So that's, to me, what discipleship is all about. A disciple of Christ is this faith-filled Christian that just loves Jesus, fellowshipping with their brothers and sisters in Christ, praying, seeking God through prayer. They have a meaningful prayer life. They are studying God's Word, delighted with the truths that are in God's Word that jump out at them and that are life transforming, and they're witnessing to the glory of His name. So it, it sounds like they're, they're far from being isolated. They're, mm. they're in a community together. They are. I think the elements of discipleship, and it's kind of like a chair that has four legs. I wouldn't want to sit on a high stool if I knew that one of the legs were broken. Oh. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like a stool with four legs. 
there is prayer mm -hmm. in Bible study. But if you only pray and study the Bible, the, the Pharisees led out in the crucifixion of Jesus and they did a lot of praying and studying the Bible, but it could be very self-centered. Yes. So prayer and Bible study leads to witness. Yes. But prayer, Bible study, and witness without fellowship can lead to, the, to a barrenness, a, a coldness of faith. So I think discipleship has to do with prayer, Bible study, witness, and fellowship with, with believers, both in church and, and, and socially. You know, I'll tell you an interesting story that happened to me. After one of my large evangelistic meetings, we listed the name of each convert, and I would call the pastor and I'd say, how's this person doing, How that, how's that person doing, and the pastors would tell me. So it was a young man that he came to our meetings. He was in his 20s. He had been baptized. He had come to Christ, just vibrant. And I said to the pastor, how's this young man doing? And the pastor said, oh, Mark, he's doing great. I mean, I said, is he in church every week? Oh, yes, he's in church every week. And the pastor said, let's go on to the next name. I said, no, I have some more questions about this young man. Right. When does he come to church? I said, oh, he never comes to Bible class, Sabbath school. He usually comes in right before I begin to preach. He was missing something. He was missing something. But then I said, when does he leave? And he said, immediately, does he stay around and linger? No, he doesn't. And I said to him, here's what's happened. This young man is doctrinally informed, but he's not socially integrated. Mm. And sooner or later, the pull friendship of his past life is going to pull him out. And truly, unfortunately, that happened. Six months later, this young man left the church. So what I like to look for in new converts is, do they have a meaningful prayer life? Yes. Have we helped them understand what a, what a productive devotional life is like? Are they studying God's Word? Right. And thirdly, are they witnessing for Christ? Now, you have to be a little bit careful when a person accepts new truth because sometimes they think witnessing is just jamming down the throat of people. Proclaiming it. <laughs> yeah, all this Unfiltered. new truth. Yes. Yeah, so I always tell them, look, pray about what to say. You know, I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, and I often quote this with new converts. Um, Isaiah 50, verse 4, and the... Um, it says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that's weary. Notice the tongue of the learned is the content of what I speak. So we like to help new converts know what to say and how to share their faith, the content of what they say. Then it says that I should know how to speak. Have you ever noticed that you can say something to one person and they will be offended and you say it to another person they're not offended? Exactly. Or, 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 and so we want to teach people how to share Jesus in the yes. most winsome, charming, loving way. So it's what you say, it's how you say it, and in season at the right time. Mm. You know, there's always the right time to say something and not the right time to say something. So in witnessing, a friend of mine, Pastor Paul Ratsara, taught me an interesting principle. Pastor Ratsara is the head of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Southern Africa. Yes. And we would have large evangelistic meetings together and baptize a thousand people wow. on a Sabbath or 1,500. The Praise next God. day on Sunday morning, we'd have a witnessing class for them. Ah, immediately after. Yeah. yeah teaching them what to say and how to say it, organizing them so their homes could be the centers of small groups. Mm, mm. And it's amazing what God does in yeah. that. 
So we encourage people who have come to Christ to have a meaningful prayer life, a meaningful Bible study life, and to begin witnessing powerfully to the glory of His name. I was just with a young couple this past weekend, in fact. We had a large evangelistic series in Mobile, Alabama, and we baptized a young couple, and they were sharing with me. We gave them a little book called Studying Together. Uh, that nice. little book has major doctrines in it, and it has the different denominations of what they believe, and they talked to me about going to the home of some, some of their friends who were involved in a cult, and I will let that cult remain unnamed, but yes. they were involved in this cult. And on the way there, the young man was getting all his arguments in his head, and he was telling his wife, and she said, let's pull over to the side of the road for a minute. We need to pray, and we need to look in Pastor Finley's book to see how to approach that cult. Oh, really? And so they did. They pulled over to the side of the road, and they prayed, and then they looked in the book, and she said, we went into the house, and we had much greater success. So prayer, Bible study, witness in a loving way, and fellowship, that's what keeps people solid in Jesus. Thanks so much for that, Mark. We'll be, we'll be right back after the break with more on discipleship with Mark Finley. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion, where our special guest is Pastor Mark Finley, and we're exploring discipleship. Mark, we're so appreciative that you're here. In the, the last portion of the program, we were talking about the importance of prayer, Bible study, fellowship, and witnessing. It seems to me that what you're presenting there is the template, what's found in Acts chapter 2, particularly around verses 42 to 47. Is that right? It really is. Let's take a look at it. You know, in Acts 2, 3,000 were baptized in a day. And some people say if you baptize thousands of people, you have these great apostasies, they all leave. Not necessarily in the book of Acts. You look at Acts chapter 2, right. verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. I love that. When people come to Jesus, they're just so overjoyed, they mm. gladly received God's word. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Well, did they leave immediately? Not so. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. So let's go from the end. So these were praying Christians yes. who fellowshiped together, who understood the doctrine of Jesus, and they went out and witnessed for him. So they, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, they continued in fellowship, they continued in praying, and they were powerful witnesses for Jesus Christ. You know, and, in some translations there, it talks about being devoted to these things. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just a, a take it or leave it. Their, their life was a life of devotion to these. So as a pastor, I have a responsibility when somebody comes to Jesus to help them to become a disciple. And so I begin to say to myself, how can I help them to have a meaningful prayer life? How can I help them to have a meaningful devotional life and study God's Word for themselves? How can I engage them so they use their gifts in witness? And how can I be sure that they're incorporated into the fellowship of the church? Yes. I think that's the responsibility of a pastoral leader uh, is, to, to nurture these new converts. You know, there was a time that we were raising up a new church, planting a new church in a section of Chicago. 
and it was kind of a, an amusing story because I was holding this evangelistic meeting in like the Caesar's Palace. It was a large wow. restaurant. Yes. And I went to rent a church, and the only church that would rent to us was St. Mark's Lutheran Church. Made for the occasion. Yes. Yeah, so I went to my audience and I said, you know, uh, I'm not St. Mark, but that's our new <laughs> church in the name of it. You know, it was just really kind of funny. But anyway, we would have, we didn't have a large group in those days. We started with a congregation of about 50, 60 people. And on my organist, I said to her, okay, now this is what I want you to do. Here's the names of every person that we baptize in this series. When you sit at the organ, the organ happened to be facing the congregation. She had yes. the names and she'd check them off and say, pastor, today in church, we had 52 of the 60. We had 43 of the 60. She, I would take the 17 names that weren't there, the eight names that weren't there, the five, whatever it happened to be, Call them on the telephone. John, Mary, Doug, Val, sorry we missed you today. I yes, yes. uh, hope you aren't sick. And, oh, Pastor, we were traveling. We visited this church out of town. Oh, Pastor, we were sick. But so, they, you, so you would call them if they just missed once? Oh, for sure, for sure. Because a week, it can be short, but a week is a long time. A yeah. lot can happen in a week. Particularly for new converts. Exactly. And so I wanted to be sure that they knew that I was interested in them. And so if they missed, I would pray for them. I have pastor friends who have churches that are quite large yes. that really have the churches divided up, membership divided up among their elders. Mm -hmm. So they take attendance on, on Sabbath morning yes. so that they know who's there. You know, when you look at the 99 sheep and the shepherd went after the one that was lost, Anthony, if you look at a flock of sheep, you can't tell if there are 100 there or there are 99 there. Yeah. And they all can look the same <laughs> yeah, to yeah, me anyway. Yeah. yeah, you can't tell. So how, how, what's the only way of telling the difference between 99 and 100? Somebody's got to count. Exactly. Many a shepherd wouldn't know if one of his sheep were gone. Yeah. The good shepherd knows. Yeah. Yeah. And so we try to encourage pastors to be conscious of who, which of their members are there Sabbath morning and which ones aren't and to be very active in reaching out to those that are not there. Yes. A friend of mine at Andrews University many years ago um, was the dean of the seminary, Werner Wiemeister. And Werner tells this story. He was part of a small group. And in this small group, there was a couple that were just very new Adventist, new Christians. Yes. And so every Sabbath morning, he would look for them. Mm -hmm. One Sabbath, they were not in church really concerned. So after his Sabbath lunch, he went over to visit them. Yes. And he found that they had gotten a little discouraged. And so he sat there and he began to talk to them and pray with them and study the Bible with them. Pretty soon the doorbell rang. Oh, really? And the couple went up and went to the door and two more members of the small group came into their house. They were concerned about them. So that's three people now visiting. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Actually four because they were both couples. Oh, okay. Yes. So, so now you have the, the couple that were baptized, now the husband and wife of Pastor Viewmeister and his wife, and then the other couple. Right. So I didn't clearly explain that. So you have four. About a half an hour later, another one of the small group couples <laughs> came. And so pretty soon Dr. Viewmeister said, we had our small group in that home. And then his comment was, do you think they were in church next week? Exactly. They were. Exactly. So yeah. here's an interesting principle. What happens when a person does not come, let's suppose they've been baptized and they get a little discouraged. There are the, what we call the three Ds. First, there is discomfort then there is discouragement, then there's defensiveness. Mm. By discomfort, we mean that a person 
has left their old social structure, they become part of the church, but they don't feel integrated into the friendship and fellowship of the church, so they become uncomfortable. Right. Here's a person that's given up habits in their life, alcohol, tobacco, and they are on a moment of stress, they smoke a little bit, then they go to church, but they still feel discomfort, they feel a guilt in their yes, life. Yeah. Here's a person who was, um, is not elected to a certain church position. They think that they feel, dis first is discomfort. Yes. After you feel discomfort long enough, you then feel discouraged. Yes. Then you begin defensive. Sure, I may smoke a little bit, but that person's overweight. Yes. Uh, sure, maybe I had to work on Friday night, but look at this person, they're filled with pride. Yes. You know, so, and you don't have to go to church to be a Christian kind of that's thing. That's right. Yeah. So there's first discomfort, then there's discouragement, then there's defensiveness. Then there comes what we call a crisis event. The person is already stirred up inside. Maybe they've let their prayer life go a little bit. Maybe they're feeling very discomfortable in the church. They're becoming discouraged. They're quite defensive. They may be a little critical. And then often what happens is there's some crisis. There's an argument with another church member. There is an argument with a pastor. There's something. And so then they leave. Yeah. If you do not contact them, studies show within four to six weeks, there is a reinvestment of their time. Exactly. They re and reconnecting with old friends. Ah, and what would they reinvest their time in, Mark? What um, okay, they've been going to church. Now they reinvested in sporting events, soccer. Okay. Um, they were going to church. They, they go fishing now. They play golf now. They'll reinvest in some social activity. They but there'll be some reinvestment in the time. They reconnect with old friends. So that's why when a person misses, you have to see them immediately yeah. and to begin to find out what's really happening in their heart and to pray with them and nurture them back. You know, I'd love to explore with you how we do bring them back. Okay. Can we do that after the we break? We can. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Ministry in Motion about how to bring people back to the faith. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion, where we're having a great time exploring the concept of discipleship. And joining us in this segment is our co-host, Derek Morris. Welcome, Derek. It's good to be here. Now, Mark, just before the break, we were looking at how we can bring back people that may have grown a little cold and may have reinvested in the time and energy that they were once putting into church and that type of thing. I was planting a, another church, a different one from the one we talked about earlier in the You've program. You've planted some churches, man. God has been good to us. And um, the, the deacon, head deacon, called me one day and said, Pastor Mark, I don't know what's wrong with Tom, not his real name. I said, right. what do you mean? He said, well, after church today, and I had a number of churches that I was pastoring, and so I wasn't in that particular church that day. He said, after church, Tom kind of hung around. And he began telling me about all his problems. I know he's a new Christian pastor, but he told me about that he was losing, may lose his job because of standing for Jesus. He told me that he, his wife uh, was very upset, his children were upset. He told me he was st struggling financially. And pastor, I was just about ready to lock up the church. You know, my wife Alice had the lunch in the oven. He was hungry. And I was hungry. And I listened to that enough. And then I said to him, pastor, I said, you know, Tom, you've got your problems, I've got my problems. Mm -hmm. You care for oh, no. your problems and I'll care for my problems. That's and not he said the best he, of things. He said he went home. And you know what happened? 
he went home and he was so discouraged. He said, Pastor, the next week he wasn't at church and the next week he wasn't at church and mm -hmm. I had been traveling and I didn't realize what was going on. Yes. And here, three weeks had gone by and this man who was just baptized had not been in church. What was my approach? I went to see him and I said, you know, I am so sorry. Mm. We let you down. Yes. And I just wanted to share with you the fact that, that I'm really sorry that we had let you down. You had needs and we did not minister to them. Mm. I find that when you're dealing with people who have left the church, rather than going with a defensive attitude, trying to prove why they are wrong and they ought to come back, yes. sometimes the humble attitude of saying, I'm sorry, going to a door of a person and saying, you know what, I'm really sorry that in some way we didn't meet a need you had, in some way that we let you down, in some way something happened that severed your relationship with Christ. And today I'm here because I'm really anxious to hear your story. Mm -hmm. I'm anxious for you to share with me what really is going on in your life spiritually. I'm, I'm anxious for you to share with me anything that may have hurt you. And if you, whatever decision you make in the future, share with me how our church can be more of a healing body for people that come. Exactly. And I find if you get people talking, you know, there's nothing like love that will reach people for Christ in the right. kingdom. Yeah. I, was, I was holding a meeting once and um, a husband and wife were coming to the meeting and um, they were just growing. He was an Adventist Christian, she was not. And uh, she came from another background, uh, faith tradition. Mm -hmm. And uh, her church had been very, very conservative, very, very rigid in many areas. And, but I was studying the Bible with them. I would go over to their house and they would feed me. And we just had the greatest time. I'd spend an hour or two with them on Thursday nights. And we just became real good friends. And she made a decision. She began to become part of the Adventist community. What happened was, Three days before the baptism, her, her husband came to me and said, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but she's not going to be baptized, and she told me this morning that she was divorcing me and leaving me. Really? Mm. What a shock. He was shocked. I was amazed. I mean, everything seemed yeah. to be good. So, and he said, she told me to tell you that she doesn't want you to come and visit. Mm. And I said, well what should I do? And I prayed about it. And as I was praying, and I've never done this since, the Lord impressed me, go out and buy a number of gifts, wrap them like Christmas, and bring them to her house. Mm, and yes. I was, it was strange, but it was just this deep impression. Mm -hmm. Went to the house with these gifts, and I told the husband, I'm going to ring the doorbell at 8 o'clock at night. You don't answer the door. Send your wife. Do something else. So he sent his wife, I have these gifts, and she looked and was about ready to shut the door, and I said, you know, you've been so kind to me when I came for so many times. Here are these gifts for you. You fed me. I'm going to be leaving, and I put them in her hands. She looked at them, and I said, could I just come in and see the smile on your face when you open them? Come in, Pastor. Oh, good. I came in. He was sitting on one end of the couch. She was sitting on the other. I mean, far apart. Mm. So she opened the gifts, and we talked a little bit, and I said, you know, before I leave, I know that you've been going through a struggle. Your husband has shared with me a few things. Would you share with me what's really going on? Yeah. And she said this, Pastor, I was married once before and I went to my previous pastor in my previous church to tell him I was becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. Although my husband 
had committed adultery. That was her previous husband, not yes. the man she was married to now, had committed yes. adultery. She said, Pastor, my pastor told me that God does not allow remarriage under any circumstances, even adultery, and that I was living in a state of adultery right now, although my first husband was unfaithful to me and I don't have any idea where he was, hmm. but my pastor told me that I would have to be single for the rest of my life. Wow. So to be faithful to God, I made a decision to leave my husband. Mm. I said, let's study the Bible. You took we, time to listen to her. We studied the Bible together. At the end of the night, she was crying. Mm. She saw what Jesus said about divorce and remarriage, particularly in the st standpoint when somebody commits fornication or adultery like her previous husband mm. did. Mm -hmm. She sensed that her marriage was a biblical marriage mm. now. Exactly. As I talked, they kept getting closer and closer together. Pretty soon their arms around one <laughs> oh, another. That's good. She became part of the Adventist church. Beautiful. That's good. Here is the point. There's one single point I'd like to make. There's nothing like love that wins people back to Jesus. Yes. 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 And what I'm hearing also, Anthony, is a spirit of humility that you were willing to go yeah. and say, maybe we've made some mistakes, yeah. be willing to listen in love, and that built a bridge, didn't it? It does, it does. Beautiful. You know, when we go not believing that we have all the answers, yes. but when we go in a humble spirit of Jesus, listening to people, it disarms them, yes. and their prejudices mm. are broken down, yeah. and it leads them to be open to the gospel of Christ. Powerful insights. You know, I also heard the importance of a visit, a, 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 yeah. a prayer-driven visit, which reclaims people and shows that love and that, mm -hmm. that care yeah. and that kindness. The attitude is not, well, if they've made that decision, that's their decision. Mm -hmm. yes. The attitude is, we will not let you go. Yes, Beautiful. Exactly. Thanks so much, Mark. It's thank been you. a real thank pleasure. You, thank, thank you. Thank you too, Derek. And thank you for joining us. It's been a wonderful journey exploring discipleship, the importance of Bible study, prayer, witnessing, and fellowship. Join us again. There'll be more of Ministry in, in Motion, or visit our website, ministryinmotion.tv. You can watch replays of all the programs. You can also gather in resources as well. We're very interested in your feedback, and there's opportunity for you to comment and send in questions to us as well. But most importantly, we pray that God will bless you in your ministry.